everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I am your host, Taylor Rockwell. It only took me two times to uh, get that one out because it's the weekend review, and it's a Monday morning, and it's still sort of early for me, or it's been early because I've been watching all of the things that happened this weekend. And with me, I have my friend, Mr. Ryan Bailey, to help me make sense of all of the things that happened this weekend, each and every game the world over. Sound good, Ryan? Sounds good. Let's get around the houses. I'm surprised you forgot your own name in the first time we recorded this intro, by the way. And the show name. It, it was yeah. a it was a double whammy. Uh, it was a fine, fine moment <laughs> for me. And it actually stepped on my uh, the intro I had written out, which was to credit you for teaching David Luiz everything he knows about defending. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Uh, I I appreciate it. I'm not sure Arsenal fans do. But uh, we're actually not even going to uh, talk too much about Arsenal. I, I did want to mention that one. I will talk a little bit about uh, playing out of the back, but we can get to that later on because we've got a lot of Premier League to get to. A little bit of La Liga, a little bit of Bundesliga, and a little bit of Major League Soccer. Ryan, mm. which game would you like to start with? Uh, I would like to start with the team who were not scared to play out of the back mm-hmm. uh, this weekend. How about Norwich City and yeah. what they did? To Manchester City. Let's do uh, it. My favourite part of this uh, game actually didn't happen in the game at all. It was on Match of the Day in the UK. Gary Lineker, in one of his links, said, How do you beat City? Fark knows. <laughs> he, he always has like some good pre-written jokes and then one or two little improvisations in there, which seem to usually be at Alan Shearer's expense. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a national treasure. What can I say? <laughs> I also liked when he he pressed them on uh uh it was who was it? It was Alan Shearer and uh Ian Wright. And they were there he was asking them about like the Tottenham result and like would Harry Kane do you think Harry Kane is mad that he didn't score in this game even though they won and they were both like yeah, totally. And you could tell that all three of them were sort of in that same mindset and were in that mindset when they played. So I always appreciate yeah. their insight. I always appreciate his puns and I really enjoyed this game. Uh Norwich with a 3-2 win over Manchester City. Uh we solicited questions uh f- from the weekend. We had one from Marcus Rashford I don't think it was actually Marcus Rashford who asked this, uh, but the question was, is the title race uh, over already? No top six team seemed to perform well, and Man City is already struggling without Laporte, so can we crown Liverpool at this point? Liverpool currently five points ahead in the Premier League table. Worth noting, it's mid-September at this point. So I'm guessing this was a slightly tongue-in-cheek question, but it does beg the question, are Man City in trouble with the injury to Imerich Laporte? He will be out for, I think, five to six months. Should mm. be back for the end of the season. We shall see. But without him, their defense did look a little bit ragged. And I'm wondering, Ryan, for you, was this a case of like City just having an off day? Or do you see larger issues? Uh, it's hard to tell. I think mm-hmm. it may be a little combination of both. Because um, obviously it was very much an off day, particularly for that uh, central defense mm-hmm. pairing. And then you look at the, the broader picture and, say, the summer spending. We know that Pep's obsessed with buying fullbacks. He can bought another couple of them this summer. And, you know, the, should, should they have bought, bought big on a centre-back instead? You know, should they have gone for Harry Maguire? What do you, I mean, what do you think about that? Should they have, should they have gone in for a Maguire or a De Ligt or um, um, someone like that? The De Ligt one may, may be a bit more. I feel like with Harry Maguire, there was going to be the bidding war. That might have been a bit too much for them. I don't know where they are in terms of financial fair play, but it, it did seem like you could sort of drive the price up on Harry Maguire and then go after De Ligt. But then when Juve, Juve comes in, maybe they should have just looked for like a, a second-tier one that could have backed him up. But I think also... Mm. 
part of that is that, you know, once you get the injury to Laporte, then suddenly it seems way worse than maybe it actually is. But Otamendi and Stones, you would have argued, I think, or I would have argued, like, yeah, they seem like capable backups. Otamendi is never going to be a person that you think, like, is 100% lights out a lockdown center back. But you wouldn't have thought it would look quite so bad as it did this weekend. And I am actually, with that in mind, inclined to say that this was maybe just sort of what you're going to have every now and then if you're Man City is an off game where people don't quite raise their game. I think Norwich... Like I've read a couple different articles about how Norwich like like set the blueprint for how you beat Man City. Whenever a big team loses, there's always the, these sort of articles written. And for me, it was like essentially play the absolute perfect game uh, <laughs> and, and like prepare like perfectly, have everybody in the exact right like mindset heading into it, and then have Man City have an off day. And even then, they still hit the post. They still came close a couple times. It easily could have swung the other way. So for me, this is more of a just like yeah, this happens every now and then. I'm guessing City will respond and win like five nil in their next game. Yeah, exactly. Even at half time in this game when it was two one, I was sitting there thinking, "This is going to be, you know, mm-hmm. four, City are going to score four goals in this yep. game. This is going to be fine. This is going to be, you know, the, the excitement we're feeling right now is going to dissipate." But no, it didn't work out that way. Full credit to Norwich. You know, we've been seeing all these stats about the what, the values of their team. The starting eleven for Norwich was worth six point four million pounds mm-hmm. uh, against four hundred six million pounds for Man City. So uh, basically, you could uh, uh, what's that? Two Zinchenkos, basically. Norwich, <laughs> Norwich's uh, team cost there. <laughs> we should absolutely start measuring thing in terms of the number of Zinchenkos uh, they cost. I like that approach. Yeah, five point two times more Otamendi's or something like that. We could work out an Otamendi scale maybe for this. But another thing I'd say about this game also is uh, not not just players having off games. Like Carl Walker was mm-hmm. at fault for one of the goals, playing the runner on and moving out of position and whatnot. And obviously the centre backs had a nightmare. But also a four two three one from Pep, which. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the strongest formation, but you know we know he loves a four three three. We know that in previous games, say against uh, what Newcastle and Crystal Palace, and I think even Leicester last season when they didn't do so well, it was when that central Fernandinho figure wasn't the rock in the middle. Mm-hmm. And in the four two three one, you're splitting, you're splitting that. They had Gundogan and Rodri sort of splitting that, and and it changes things behind them, and it changes things in front of them. So. Whether going up against a four two four two three one with another four two three one was a wise idea is another thing which I haven't really seen mentioned anywhere else, and maybe I'm not making too big a deal no. of it, but it seemed like a big important point to me as well. I think I think you're absolutely right, and it's one that like I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I had been struggling to figure out like why City didn't have their usual width. We see why they weren't so lethal countering down the wings, and I think that's part of it. It's when you play that four two three one, you either have to usually in order for your forward that one to have some sort of support, you have to have those wide players kind of cheat inside or stay a little bit further forward, and it creates gaps that you maybe wouldn't otherwise have, especially if City are playing the way they usually do with just the kind of single pivot player. And that makes a lot more sense than why they struggled with, with some of the counterattacks, why they didn't look quite as fluid in their attacking play. And once they change it up a little bit near the end of the game, maybe that's why they start to look a little bit stronger. So no, I, t- I take your point. Four two three one, maybe not what we'll see from Man City uh, going forward at least too many times this season. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. And, and to answer Marcus Rashford's question there mm. about, you know, is the title race over? As you say, no, it's mid-September. Yep. Let's not jump to conclusions. Let's look at, I mean, look all across Europe. You know, um, Bayern drew and they've lost, uh, you know, they've, they've dropped points. Uh, Juventus mm. drew at the weekend. They We've did. seen Barcelona drop points. We've seen all these big teams across Europe, and uh, including everyone except Liverpool, basically, drop points. So it's, it's far too early to make those kind of calls. And I did enjoy, sarcastic Pep Guardiola is one of the best Pep Guardiolas. 
is, isn't it? <laughs> he really I like is. Cra- he gets crouching concern Guardiola, crouching sort of bouncing on his heels on the sideline. Guardiola is one of my favourites, but sarcastic Guardiola <laughs> takes it over. He's saying in his, in his post match, it's on YouTube. He's like, "Congratulations, Liverpool! You're the champions. We're in September. What can you do?" <sighs> Take that, you children! It was great. I like that very much. He also had the one about the like like the players get credit, but it, I, yeah, he definitely seemed uh, not pleased with the the narrative uh, as it was. And then, yeah, but I totally agree with you at the same time that like. Liverpool are going to drop points once Champions League picks up. They're going to have fixture congestion. They'll drop some points, and then suddenly it will be our Liverpool in crisis, and we'll get those yeah. exact same articles about, oh, here's the blueprint for how you beat Liverpool. Are they struggling? Oh, they've dropped two points in four games. That's not good. And so I think it, it always happens because you have to have that narrative. The only time I can think of it not really being the narrative was when Leicester won the title, and even then it was still like, oh, but eventually mm. they're going to slip up. That was sort of the narrative, and then they just kept not slipping up, really. Uh, so Is it- Go ahead. Is it indicative of the fact that we're in the era of the hot take? Like, let's yes. take Barcelona, for example. Every other game, they've been bad this mm-hmm. season. And every other game, they've been scoring loads of goals. Yep. And the hot takes change from week to week. It's And they're still essentially the same team. They're still essentially not had Leo Messi the whole season. We'll get onto them later. But, I mean, what my point being that we're all very short-term in the way we talk about these things. Uh, we certainly are. And it, and it's, it, it does make, honestly, like like a little like insight into doing the show uh, for people. It does make these weekend reviews hard because I think you and I – try i don't mean for this to sound self-aggrandizing but like you and i try not to just do the like oh is this a good week oh is harry kane the best is song Hyun min like the best midfielder like you everybody can't be the best every single week like you and to have those conversations it gets really boring it gets really dry and it gets a little bit disingenuous at a certain point because it's like our city in crisis like no probably not but it is the yeah. hot take it does get more clicks if you say yes it's why you have media personalities who will make those sort of wildly over-the-top declarative statements, which they then pivot on and like completely change and reverse course like two or three days later. And and so I'm happy we don't do that, but it does make it slightly harder. Uh, but that said, yeah, the title race is gone. Liverpool t- definitely going to win it. And uh, that's all she wrote. We can just stop watching now. <laughs> yeah, that's just, this thing just goes on and on, doesn't it? It yeah, certainly does. Absolutely. I, I do have a question for you, though, Ryan, about this game and sort of Go a couple on. other games uh, from the weekend. We, Daryl and I had this, uh, I believe last week it was, or two weeks ago, we did a list of questions show. And uh, we were asked, like, it seems like more teams are trying to take advantage of the change in the goal kick rule where uh, if your team is taking the goal kick, like, you can have players inside the box. The opposition yeah. obviously cannot until the ball is, I believe, received. Um, so. It, the question we asked was like, are teams basically trying to use this and getting caught out? Because now it seems like it's this invitation to like play the ball, but like get it back and play really quickly, keep the ball moving, and see if you can build out of the back much faster instead of just having to build from the goalkeeper. And both of us were inclined to say like, no, like I think teams are still like learning how to use it a little bit, but it gets the ball back and play faster. It gives you more options. It like kind of allows the teams to get pulled apart, and so it creates opportunities. This weekend was the first time I've really felt like. Maybe it's it's a bit more problematic because we had mm. City uh, like v- looking very lazy uh, off the goal kick building out of the back. That's when Odomendi turns the ball over, leads to an Norwich goal, the third goal. Uh, Arsenal did the exact same thing. That's how they let Watford back in was basically a lazy pass from Socrates. It's cut out. It le- leads to the Cleverly goal. And there were other moments this weekend where the kind of attempt to build out of the back from the goal kick, goal kick almost seemed to give the team taking the goal kick this idea that, like, oh, we're going to be fine. And then they get, like, really lazy, and I cannot figure out why you would be lackadaisical receiving a pass inside your own six-yard box. Yeah, it's. I think what, what you said there, it, it, how it creates more opportunities, this new law, I think it also creates more opportunities for the attack. So mm-hmm. in many ways, for the, for, for, the, yes. for us watching, it's a good thing. That's a good thing. And you look at how it worked on that third goal as well. And, and but, but 
full credit to Norwich in that situation, by the way. You got the two um, Otamendi and Stones there on the edge of the box, and there was three players on them immediately. Three yellow shirts yep. coming towards them, and then Ben Buendia comes and nicks the goal. Buendia, if I can get it said mm-hmm. properly, by the way. I love that name. It's like Mr. Good Day. Mr. Good Day himself, and he was having a very good day. <laughs> he had a very good day, yeah. Two assists on the, on the game as well. Uh, but, but it was this amazing press that Norwich were doing. They weren't scared to play out from the back, and they had the quality to do it as well. And going into this season, we we were all worried about Norwich conceding. You know, they'd score loads of goals, but also conceding loads of goals. Um, and they've, you know, they've had some disappointing results so far this season and played better than the results they've got. And I think you know they sort of vindicated their style this weekend. And full credit to them; they, they were they were really good and they were really fun to watch as they have been this season. I agree. And I, and I would add that like so cycling back to the like like should City have bought better? Should they have bought a centre back? Like this is me speaking absolutely as not a Manchester City fan, but I, I also enjoy when they have like slight vulnerabilities, when they have little tiny gaps in the armor that are really difficult to exploit, but they're there. In this case, Otamendi wasn't that difficult to exploit because uh, you're right that Kyle Walker keeps uh, Norwich on side for I think the opening goal, but also Otamendi yeah. goes like like running upfield for no apparent reason and is thus like ten yards out of position on that one. But like I like the idea of those individual mistakes that if you are a team like Norwich who set up, as I said, essentially perfectly, I think. They they played a perfect game against Man City, still almost ended up like giving up a, a late equalizer. But with that said, we're able to just sort of capitalize on that one little error and then they get a goal. Later on, Odomendi a little bit slow, they capitalize on that one little error and mm. just I, like basically, I guess what I'm saying is like City with a little teeny bit of vulnerability makes City much more compelling to me to watch as a neutral slash maybe City detractor than like they are when they're just like this unstoppable unstoppable juggernaut who cannot be beaten in any way. Yeah, definitely. That's a much better narrative. And uh, yeah, it was a walk. I think it was the second goal. Walker did, did thing, letting his runner go, and went walkabouts a little bit. Uh, the first goal was what I wanted to talk to talk about as well, which was the corner, sort of headed in from the near post. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, when you look at that again, every City player is in the box, and Norwich are doing that sort of yep. technique with all, all the players bunched at the top of the box, like we saw England do in recent tournament. Um, it's, I presume that's pretty hard to defend, even if you are a elite Premier League team. And you had Aguero again doing nothing. Like, it was five yards away from everybody else. So I wonder if Pep went and had another go at him. Because if you remember a few weeks back, he got he got a, he got a, a hiding for that, didn't oh, yeah. he? Uh, for, for being in the wrong place in a corner. So that, that seemed like it happened again. Or maybe it didn't. It, was, <laughs> it, it could have been he was just getting ready to break away, as you, as you would be. But it was uh, for the header, uh, for McLean's header, it was, I think he was up against Raheem Sterling on the near post. And... I don't think Raheem Stone is going to win the aerial battle in that one. So that was interesting. I, I was, I'm always interested when teams go with the zone defense, which is what City were doing, and you're absolutely right, against the kind of bunched and then like rapidly spread and attack different points uh, sort of approach from Norwich. I don't see how the zone works that well, and I think this is a great example of if you're sitting off, but then you're not attacking the space, and that's the key factor there is that, like, yeah, to your point, uh, I think it's Sterling standing off, and then Kyle Walker, once again, kind of not being aggressive to go and meet that ball, uh, whereas McLean is, and and because he has that momentum, because he is attacking the space where the ball is going to be, whereas City, I think, are watching and maybe looking to counter and expecting to be able to counter, that's why you basically have McLean unmarked for that first goal. Uh, Also nice to have a person named Billy scoring goals. It feels like a throwback to like the 1980s and I dig it. Uh, but like, yeah, so I think 
it still is like really tempting to take take away like oh well Kyle Walker was kind of like at fault here he didn't make a good defensive play he's at fault for the offside Otamendi makes two mistakes like okay maybe this is City sort of in crisis maybe they should have bought more maybe their defense is going to be really suspect but I think to to take that approach will then necessitate next week when they win 3-0 and look pretty solid for us to then be like well maybe they're not in crisis and maybe they did buy well and maybe it just required a little bit of faith so I'm not gonna like. I don't want to make any big, uh, you know, judgment calls on their season overall. The way Marcus Rashford has maybe felt a bit more comfortable with, but I, I do on, think Marcus. that there are signs there that are worrying if you're a City fan, especially given yeah. that Liverpool continue to do Liverpoolian things. Let's all just remember, though, Tay Tay, that mm-hmm. Man City had the chance to buy Virgil Van Dijk. We saw it on the Amazon documentary. Literally, the chairman taking the phone call about it. Uh, they deemed 80 million too much, and. This is where we are. This is where we are. Uh, One game down, many more still to be discussed. But first, we should take a break to talk about today's sponsor, SeatGeek. Our friends over at SeatGeek. As you said, Ryan Bailey, $80 million, uh, I guess, was deemed a bit too much. And I would say $80 million is probably too much to pay for tickets as well, uh, which you should not be doing. And SeatGeek helps you to not do because SeatGeek uh, is the world's largest like ticket aggregating site. Uh, You can basically get the best value for your buck. And you can see what those seats are and the quality of those seats. They have have the kind of traffic light system that tells you, is it a good uh, value for what you're getting? You can see where you're going to be sitting, and it kind of makes it so that you're not going to end up paying a bunch of money for a thing you don't necessarily need, or a bunch of money for a thing maybe you do necessarily need in the case of Man City and Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a lot of fun to use. You can get the phone on your app, you can use it on your desktop, both very pretty to look at. Over 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store, baby. That's customer <laughs> satisfaction in star format for you, Tay-Tay. Uh, as you say, one of the best things about this uh, is, is the uh, the traffic light system mm-hmm. rating. So I'm looking at let's I'm looking at Atlanta United and San Jose Earthquakes oh. in Atlanta for next weekend, for example. And there are, there is a 10 out of 10 amazing deal if you want to sit in Section 230 for $54 a piece. Whereas there are some cl- uh, seats which are closer, they're, they're amber, they're yellow on the traffic light system. Not such a hot deal. So they're, they're being upfront about what kind of tickets you can buy on here. And it's a really clean, easy site to use. Big fan over here. I appreciate that. And I appreciate also that uh, every purchase is fully guaranteed. Uh, so you can shop with confidence, which would, I'm, I'm assuming, be a nice thing for Premier League clubs to have. You have the guarantee that a player is going to perform. Otherwise, you don't really maybe get that so much, but you can with SeatGeek. And mm-hmm. best of all, SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Ryan, can you explain how they're doing such a thing, how our listeners can take advantage? Go to the go to the old internets on your mm-hmm. phone, the right? Internets, right. Yep. That's the first bit. Series of two. SeatGeek app. Find that on your phone. Use the promo code TSS. Get yourself ten dollars off first purchase. That's promo code TSS for ten dollars off on your first purchase. You internet loving Marvel, you. <laughs> Thank you very much to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode, Ryan. Uh, to where shall we head next? Shall we go to the Theatre of Dreams, darling? I, I suppose we should, if it's still the Theatre of Dreams. Is a 1-0 semi-boring win over Leicester City still what you think of as, like, the dream theatre? Well, I don't actually uh, remember my dreams, so, yeah, it seemed about appropriate for me. Wh- which thing do you want to hear less about? A, pa- a person's fantasy football team, a person losing <laughs> at poker, or a person's dreams that don't involve you? Oh... There must be some sort of trio where those all come together and it would be the, the, the most nightmare situation you could imagine. Uh, a nightmare situation, speaking thereof, Harry Maguire mm-hmm. in this game, obviously facing his uh, former employer, got a bit of a rough reception from the travelling fans. Now, Tay-Tay, I, I want to get your take on this. I didn't really understand it. From my perspective, 
He served Leicester very well. Mm. He did the move quite respectfully, didn't shoot his mouth off or anything, and has been quite classy since. Why was he why was he booed here? I mean, there's a couple of ideas I have. The first would just be that like it's the thing to do whenever there's a player who doesn't like sort of I don't mean this to be like hyperbolic or, or negative, but like when they don't like grovel, when they don't take out a full page ad and say like thank you so much and this was my life's ambition was to play for Leicester City. Like I mm. I don't mean to be a jerk with that, but like that's probably not his life's ambition. And so I think when the player doesn't do that, they end up sort of being cast as a villain. And then I think when the player moves for as much as, as he did to a club like Manchester United, who I think for some Leicester fans, for some people out there would say like, maybe right now that's kind of a lateral move. So it feels like there are like negative elements that combine to maybe, maybe be the reason for the booing, but it still doesn't make much sense to me. Because, again, yeah, that was a faithful servant who's, who's done good things for your club and also brought in a lot of money with that transfer. So yeah. that, that seemed slightly surprising to me. And then also maybe a little bit karmically punished because I think the, the, the headline I saw was that the Leicester fans were, were singing, like, like, we don't need Harry Maguire, we have Soyunju, who then goes and concedes the penalty uh, when Man United <laughs> get their goal. So maybe that was karma coming back to bite the Leicester fans. Little bit. By the way, the my most the most enjoyable aspect with that penalty was Rashford doing the Neymar role. I think I counted six roles after uh, Soju put him down. Did he really? It was that was a lot of roles. Oh, a lot of roles. The, the the Neymar role. It's the worst sushi roll you can buy. It's just got like bits and pieces <laughs> of random stuff in there. It's no good. Don't get that. Um, and we're not going to talk about PSG by the way, but I did want to highlight Neymar's quote from the weekend. He scored a lovely goal for Paris Saint Germain, uh, and he said words to the effect of, uh, "I'm going to treat every game." as an away game now due to the hostility he was receiving from home fans. And he said this while wearing the away kit of PSG at the Parc de Bronze. So is that is that like very clever on his part? Is that like a whole calculated marketing strategy or do you think that just happened to be the case? Oh, now you've got me thinking cynically. Maybe it was. I hope it just it sounds, was. sounded dumb to me. <laughs> I mean, it. <laughs> things could be two things, Ryan. Um, That's true. Uh, Man United missing Paul Pogba, Jesse Lingard, uh, Luke Shaw, Anthony Martial. But at the, like, so that kind of explains away some of like why they didn't look quite as strong going forward. At the mm. same time, had uh, less possession than Leicester, despite playing at home. Their passing accuracy was not very good. So I am going to remove myself entirely from this one and just ask you, Ryan. Like, is this against Leicester the reason why I had this in here? Because it felt like it could be a potential like slip up game for United. Although they've had several of those already this season. It felt like it could be a good win if they're able to kind of find their way through. Instead, given what I've just said, like said to you, it still finishes one nail. It's a penalty from Rashford. Do you think like United fans should feel more confident from this result, or is it still a well? Let's see what comes next sort of a uh, situation. I think United fans who look at the scoreline could feel more confident, mm-hmm. but ones who watch the game, not so much. Right. As you say, wasn't great. Not really good from open play. It seemed like most of the action came from penalties is, is it a man united policy to get a penalty at least once every game now by the way is that a thing yeah yeah of course you didn't yeah. get that memo i didn't get it but at least they, they seem to have changed course with it they're scoring them now right <laughs> that is you like i appreciate that the commentator didn't try to build that na- like narrative too much but there was definitely the like all of the uh like stories circling around of pogba not playing and being in the stands and rashford missing and will he miss again but instead it was just more of a, like marcus rashford steps up and then he does his his like uh dance move run up and then eventually dispatches it and it's just more of a like oh yeah he scores that's good mm. uh, but it, it wasn't a harry kane like penalty there was it that looked savable to me i don't know you think so it, it, harry kane puts them in the corner no mm. one can get to them 
ever, apart from when he <clears throat> misses them. But um, <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it looked like he, 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 oh, he sent the keeper the wrong way. What am I saying? It was a penalty. He scored. <laughs> Uh, the result, the win for Man United, the three points, takes them into fourth place uh, on goal difference ahead of Leicester City as well as Chelsea mm. and Arsenal. Uh, Ryan, I think this was your question for me, but I'll ask it to you and then you can throw it right back to me if you want. If you had to bet right now, which of those four teams I just mentioned do you think ends up finishing in that top spot? Or in that, excuse me, top spot being the fourth place spot? The, the, the trophy, the Arsene Wenger trophy, yes. I think would probably go to Leicester. Really? Yeah, that was why I pitched at the start of the season. I think I think fourth place, sorry, from the start of the season was Man United's to lose mm-hmm. because of you know the, the the shortcomings of say Arsenal or Chelsea, and Leicester just creeping into this pack. And we thought that teams like Wolves, whereas Wolves hadn't quite, we'll probably get to them later. They haven't quite fired in the no. way they did, particularly against bigger sides last season. Now it feels like Leicester's to lose. You know, playing beautiful soccer. You know, they go to Old Trafford and they get sixty percent possession, and they nearly get a result at Old Trafford like this. I think if I had to bet now, and I'd probably go with Leicester. How about you? I, th- I think uh, I could be talked into. I really could be talked into any one of these teams. I think, and with that in mind, you've just made a very compelling argument for Leicester because it's also also the case that even though they don't end up scoring. Like you do still have the moments. There's the long ball from Casper Schmeichel off of a goal kick that bounces over both the center backs and then almost hmm. ends in a, uh, a good chance for Madison. I think it was. There's the like great like tip over the bar save from David de Gea. Like Leicester definitely had their moments. So yeah. I say that just to say that like the narrative sort of being like, oh, United figured out their defense and locked it down. They still had moments of uh, certainly doubt. I think and so. With that in mind, like, yeah, I think you can make a very easy argument that, yeah, Leicester seemed a bit more, co- like, cohesive of a team. They don't have as many question marks around a lot of their players, and they don't also have the big personalities that draw attention that have people sort of rooting against, say, Manchester United or Arsenal. Um, yeah. But this weekend is sort of a weird one because Chelsea, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, hand Wolves their lunch. Uh, Arsenal slip up against <laughs> Watford. Man United get the win against Leicester, but as we've already said, it wasn't convincing or as convincing. So it sort of feels like this weekend really made things even less clear than they already were. So I am happy to go with you on Leicester, but I think an argument could be made for United and certainly could be made for Chelsea given their result against Wolves. Yeah, whatever happens, we'll all be proved wrong and Arsenal will get it. <laughs> exactly. I I don't know. We'll see about that one. <laughs> <They> looked, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe they, not. <laughs> they looked uh, problematic uh, in that 2-2 draw <laughs> with Watford. As I've already said, uh, Chelsea did not look uh, to have too much difficulty against Wolverhampton. I thought they might. I thought this might be the game where, where Wolves kind of turned things around. Instead, they remain. Uh, in fact, they don't even remain. They have slipped into the relegation zone, have not yet won this season. Two draws, uh, excuse me, three draws, two losses. Not where we expected Wolverhampton to be at all. I definitely had them in the like the European places competition, and I think part of that is because they are in the they were in the European places last year. They're playing in the Europa League this year, and that has been a huge issue. That Nuno mm-hmm. is having to rotate, has had to deal with injuries, has a few like questionable choices that maybe lead like indicate there's some dissatisfaction in the locker room. But yeah. all of that was sort of on display here when Wolves looked pretty disjointed, pretty all over the place, and Chelsea, for their part, looked pretty dominant. Yeah, fun time Frankie's bringing fun time Chelsea back for everybody. Hurrah! They're fun to watch again. Finally, those Chelsea fans who suffered so much over the past few years of winning trophies and getting in the Champions League. <laughs> oh, no, the good times are here. The good times are here. We've got some kids playing for them now, and it's quite amusing. Yay! What a sea change, everybody. Right, <sighs> I feel like you're yeah. being sarcastic. I feel like you don't actually believe those things. 
I'm just saying, I thought sorry got a rough ride. Anyway, um, with the Chelsea narrative is great mm. at the moment, though. All, all their goals that they've scored this season have come from, from uh, academy graduates, and obviously this was a great performance. Still not sorting things out of the back necessarily, but looking very positive going forward. The question I wanted to raise to you, Taylor, is mm-hmm. obviously this is a team which is now has a spine of youth, Um and we've seen that before with certain teams, particularly Manchester United, class of 92. What, what? They did quite well as well. If this was Arsenal or Man United and they were doing this with the kids, mm-hmm. would we all be making a much bigger deal out of it? But because it's Chelsea and we've all got this inherent slight dislike of them, mm-hmm. are we not fanfaring it as much as we should? Um, I think... I think there there's like two answers to that, and they're both kind of the same, which is the first one is I think you're not wrong that I think the the dislike of Chelsea from a lot of people for a variety of reasons, right, ranging from like their fans not always being the best slash being straight up racist on occasion uh, to the owner and like all the kind of controversy around uh, Abramovich. And then, yeah, just the history of successful fire the manager, successful fire the manager. I think with that comes like a, a negativity uh, in terms of the coverage that I think probably bleeds into it. So, yeah, I think if it was Arsenal or Man United or even like Man City, if they had bought a couple English youngsters and put them through and now they're in there, I think they probably get a lot more positive attention. But the other mm. glaring thing here is that it's because they're being forced to do this because of the transfer embargo i think they went for value in terms of bringing in frank lampard knowing that like that was a person who would buy them some time given how things went with sorry and i agree with you that i think he was pretty hard done by it sort of feels like they did what they kind of had to do in terms of bringing back a bunch of the players that have been on loan they bring in frank lampard who is it seems like an an okay coach right now is where i'm comfortable being with that one yeah. But, like, he's essentially doing, I think, what he had to do, and it's just that, like, because of that, I think there's a little bit of the coverage around it is, like, they know they can't be so, like, this is the new class of 92, it's amazing, look at all these English youngsters, it always has to be viewed through the lens of, yeah, it was forced on them and they had to do it, and, you know, these are the requirements, and they maybe won't stick with it next season, and who knows how long Lampard will be there, but right now it's exciting, and I think all of that is harder to sell than sort of a, like, all these, all these kids are great, and Chelsea are doing awesome. Yeah, yeah, I buy that. That's a pretty sensible okay. approach. But, but um, you know, th- th- there were some great points in this game, th- some great goals as well. Tamori's goal was wonderful, that first touch goal for the, for the first goal. But my favourite of all the strikes, Taylor, was uh, I think it was Tammy Abraham's hat-trick goal mm-hmm. where he kind of, he got the ball over, that came over the top. Um, he's taking on, he's being taken on by Connor Cody, sort of beats him almost twice. Mm-hmm. And that proper striker's goal, a cross goal, that that that's a real classic sort of Premier League goal to me. The way that went in, and it felt like he's arrived. You know, he, he you know he, mm-hmm. he's a very different player to the one we saw at Old Trafford a few weeks ago. He's he's arrived now. Did, did that feel like a moment for you? It felt like a moment to me, like not quite on that level, but more of a moment. The best way I can explain it is like. That was the most I feel very confident goal that I think I've seen in a very long time. That like he's already on mm. a brace, Chelsea looking pretty dominant, and it's like the ball over over the top that he runs onto and is very fortunate. Like I think he miscontrols it or even misses it with his first touch, but it like bounces up and hits his basically stomach, bounces back down. Then he's able to control it. And I think if he had not scored already or maybe had had a couple go wide, in that moment he feels like, Oh, the moment's gone, I'll just cut it back and find another passing option. And instead he sort of like steadies himself, stands up, and then does such a deft little, like, 
quick touch inside and then a cut back to the outside and then gets that shot off. Three quick yeah. touches, like lightning fast. And that to me was a moment of like, oh, right, I've already scored two goals. I'm being very, like, I'm in very good form. I'm going to go ahead and see what I can do here. And he ends up being rewarded with like a perfectly placed shot into the side netting. So for me, like that moment was more indicative of like, oh, he is definitely in form and definitely feeling confident. And it made me really excited to see what comes next for Tammy Abraham. Very much so. Although your description there made it sound more deflated than mine. Mine sounded more. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's stick with yours. Let's <laughs> stick with yours then, which is slightly happier. Uh, on a down note, we did have a question from Lucas Muller uh, who asked, when do we start to feel a deep existential fear for the fate of Christian Pulisic at Chelsea? Uh, Pulisic was on the bench for this one but did not play. Uh, I'm going to say uh, there's a decent chance that Lucas Muller is maybe a U.S. national team fan and maybe would like uh, Christian Pulisic to succeed very well. So, Ryan, when do you think uh, fans of Pulisic should start to feel an existential fear uh to paraphrase pep guardiola congratulations usmnt fans you're the champions we're in september what can you do <laughs> so you're saying maybe it's premature it's early yeah a little bit <laughs> a little bit i mean has he, he hasn't put in a bad shift has he for chelsea when he's been playing and what were this sort of shift uh this is a different formation wasn't it? it's a three four mm-hmm. three four two one so yeah. maybe it just didn't work out for him in, in that particular uh, formation. I, I, I don't. I don't feel negative about that situation at all. I'm not going to get into the ex- existential despair just yet. I mean, it's also worth noting here that Chelsea have played uh, five Premier League games. Christian Pulisic has been involved in four of them, starting three. Right. So I, I think things are okay. I think it's just that because I see where Lucas is coming from in that, like this was certainly Chelsea's best performance of the season so far, and that Pulisic wasn't involved. The takeaway from that could be. Like, oh, well, maybe now they've stumbled on this formation. It's a, as you said, it's a 3 4 2 1. Maybe he's not going to fit in there. Maybe we're only going to see him making cameo appearances. But there are so many maybes in there. There are so many conditionals that I would say we don't extrapolate. Uh, like that feeling of dread from one game. If this happens for the next like couple or three games, and Pulisic is very much reduced to sort of substitute minutes and a squad role, that's where I would start to get a little bit nervous. Uh, but even then, I back him to find a way through. Yeah, definitely. Totally agreed. I think he's very much still going to be part of this squad uh, for the rest of the season. Can we talk just for a second about mm-hmm. Wolves, though? Sure. Um, as I meant, as I hinted at earlier, you know, l- last season, this was the team who struck fear into the hearts of the big six and hasn't they haven't really done that, as you hinted at as well uh, in this game. Looked a bit less assured without Willy Bolly as well. And just generally just a bit less gung ho, I'd say. And, I mean, not necessarily you can speak for Daryl, but maybe you've been speaking to him. Does he still think that Wolves are going to challenge the big boys this season? So Daryl always kind of takes the semi-pessimistic role while still being very optimistic. So, like, I think he always – exactly. So I think he was always hopeful that they would, like, continue to move on. But at the same time, if you asked him, would say, like, I don't know. I don't think they're quite there yet. And I think would stick to that. And I think – now he would certainly say they're probably not going to make top four, um, given where they are on the table. Uh, although still only like five points off fourth place, so not that big of a deal right now. How about bottom four? Uh, yeah, bottom four they could be in. They could definitely be in bottom four if well, things no. don't turn around. I, I would be very surprised if they stay where they are. I think Nuno is a very good coach, and I think he's trying to balance, as I said previously, like Europa League and the kind of variation. Much has been made of the fact that I think they've – 
already played like a different starting 11 more times at this point of the season than they did like through like like December I think of last season so he's yeah. being like forced to rotate a little bit there are injuries as you said to Willie Bully that factors into it uh the one that I saw getting a, a little bit of attention today was uh Ryan Bennett was dropped and that was sort of the like definitive back three for them last season was Connor Cody Willie Bully and Ryan Bennett so to have one of them injured one of them dropped for kind of unknown reasons and then I think uh Matt Doherty not getting as many minutes either like I think you kind of lost mm. a little bit of the consistency in the in the defense and so when you don't have that and then you have some off days from people like uh, Ruben Neves or Jambatino or even uh, uh, Jimenez up top or Jimenez excuse me uh, that's when you start to see this sort of poor run of form and that's when Wolves start to slip up a little bit but I still back Nuno I think Daryl would as well would still back Nuno to figure it out and to kind of turn things around even if that doesn't necessarily mean finishing in the European places this season. Yeah, one would hope so. And at the very least, it gives us all an opportunity to reuse that Kanye West, I'm a fix Wolves tweet. <laughs> I I remember reading that and genuinely thinking it was about Wolverhampton. When, the first time it I not? read it. <laughs> I think it was about, a, wasn't it about a track? Uh, maybe it was that an actual wolf he was trying to repair. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you didn't hear about Kanye's new business of uh, he's he's going into the veterinarian industry. And uh, that's what he was working on. Yeah, he was working on a wild uh, wolf that he's uh, performing surgery on. Doing some bionic stuff to it. I like exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't seem that far-fetched. I feel like he might actually go for that one. Um, but if Daryl were feeling slightly apprehensive, slightly nervous, slightly anxious about the state of Wolverhampton, then uh, today's sponsor could help him feel slightly better uh, because today's show is brought to you by Feels, a better way to feel better. Feels' premium CBD will keep your head clear and help you feel your best. CBD has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, which uh, Daryl could be feeling. I mean, Daryl is still in the hospital and I think is therefore very medicated and thus not feeling too bad. But if he were, uh, especially about wolves, then maybe CBD could come in and help out a little bit. Maybe so very much. And congratulations for that link into that ad. That was, that was beautiful, by the way. Feels, I try. Um, I try. It's pre- premium CBD. It's delivered directly to your doorstep. Uh, it it's naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. How do you do it, you ask? Well, just take a few drops, put them under your tongue, mm-hmm. and you feel the magic within minutes that's right uh, I'm, I'm i'm actually quite new to the world of cbd how how, how are you uh, in that situation tay tay uh, i had uh, i had tried it a little bit before they became a sponsor then they sent us some samples uh i have used it my wife has used it we both we both enjoy it you definitely feel the kind of feeling of relaxation um and i am not a person who relaxes particularly well i don't know if that will come as a surprise or not but i tend to kind of consistently be doing stuff either it's like little projects around the house or stuff for the show or like research for other shows or i i tend to be on the move and i don't you a can't sit down kind of guy um yeah but then if if i do sit down to like read a book i will like read that whole book like i don't like i i don't know i i tend to kind of get into a project and stick to that project um but with that you sound intense you need some cbd bro that's the thing is like i i there's lots of tv i want to watch i need to get caught up on many many of my stories uh but cbd (laughs) does help with that because instead of feeling that anxiety like oh there's I, i need to like fix that thing in the kitchen and i wanted to work on that thing instead it's just like yeah yeah i, I do need to watch the peaky blinders i have stopped watching that and i want to get back to it 
Mm. Well, I guess if people want to experience some feels, Taylor, mm-hmm. what should they do and how might they benefit if they do so via this uh, advertisement? All right. So basically, it's a nice and simple process that I have to stall for until I can scroll down to the copy. Feels uh, has this feeling <laughs> are best every time. Uh, you can become a member today by going to feels.com slash TSS and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash TSS to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order. Order with free shipping. One more time, Ryan Bailey, that URL was feels.com F-E-A-L-S dot com slash T-S-S. Don't be afraid to get feels, as Katy Perry said once, <laughs> very wisely. Ah, uh, yes. Feels. The wisdom of Katy Perry. That's the direction this show is taking. Uh, one more <laughs> Premier League game to discuss, uh, then we'll move to the continent. Uh, but let's move to uh, Spurs 4, Crystal Palace nil. A game that when I like uh, messaged you on Friday, I think it was, to say, like here are the games that I'm looking at for the weekend, I definitely wrote this as, this feels like a game that Palace will pick up points and there will be much complaining about Spurs. I'm really glad I didn't end up writing that down because uh, I would have looked foolish, and yet I'm telling you anyway. But Spurs come out, look very dominant. Uh, Palace look the opposite of dominant. Uh, I found this game very, very enjoyable. Ryan, how say you? Was very enjoyable, particularly if you were a Tottenham fan. Yeah. Uh, probably the best Spurs performance well, since that big Bournemouth win last year. Yeah. It seems like a, a very, very good showing from them. And against the odds as well. I think uh, Mauricio Pochettino will feel very vindicated by this because it proves his theory that the uh, transfer window is unsettling them. Because as soon as it's shut, Hey, everything's great. Serge Aurier's even back, everybody. Right? <laughs> Nobody's seen him for years, and now he's coming back and getting loads of assists and proving vital. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a, a, good, a good weekend to be a Tottenham fan. Certainly. I forgot to check if he ended up getting credited for the goal. I'm assuming he did not, uh, but the stadium, stadium announcer at Tottenham was happy to give him credit for the, I believe, second goal, which felt like it was going to be an own goal going in off, I think, of Van Aanholt. But Van Aanholt, I, take, yeah. I take your point that Aurier coming back in, uh, he gets to start. He looked very, very good, I agree. But then also worth noting, uh, Jan Vertonghen also starts. Christian Eriksen also starts. Those three players did not start when, when uh, Tottenham lost to Newcastle, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago it was? Um, yeah. And so for me, it leads to the question of like, like, I guess we've avoided making like big declarative statements from this weekend. This is the one that I feel most comfortable saying that it felt like this is like kind of Tottenham returning to what we expect Tottenham to be, this free-flowing, very attacking, very exciting team. Ryan, do you feel like this is an example of Tottenham sort of being back? Are Tottenham back in, in that like kind of, if not top two, then top three conversation? Tottenham are back, baby. There yeah, let's declare it from the rooftops. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been quite hard to get a read on this team so far this season, yep. hasn't it? Because they've looked stodgy and a bit uninspired one minute and then they're at the races the next like they are here. Mm-hmm. But I think I think this probably, if we're going to be optimistic about it, is a return to good form. And I think what they did here is they came out swinging. They blew, uh, they blew Palace away mm-hmm. before they could get the chance to settle in and kind of frustrate them as they did, as Villa did and as uh, Newcastle did also mm-hmm. too. They sort of came out the blocks much quicker and uh, put, put it to bed a lot earlier. So that was probably key to it as well. And a lot of that comes from motivation and comes from positivity within the camp, you, you presume. You would. And I, and, I, and I agree with you there because like when you have that positivity like added to the style of play that Tottenham opt for, when you can get those two things, it means that everybody is kind of feeling a bit more. And I think there were moments in this game, um, I think for Son's goal, you can just see the kind of ball zipping around and, and Palace kind of completely unable to deal with it because they think they've got this fire put out, but then the ball spreads wide and suddenly somebody else is open and you could see them just being pulled apart despite their entire game plan being don't get pulled apart. 
And I think <laughs> yeah. just the kind of chemistry and camaraderie you could see in there of like quick passes being played. Harry Kane, as I uh, said earlier, does not score. He assists for, I think, the fourth goal in this one. Uh, but mm-hmm. like just like how alive Tottenham seemed to everything that was going on and how just good they looked overall. It, it felt like, OK, yeah, this is the Tottenham that we're used to. Maybe it just took them a little bit longer. Yeah, and Son Hong, Son Hong Min was looking fantastic yes. in this one as well, wasn't he? That finish for that that volley cross was a superb, and it was it was interesting because this was kind of a four two two two, quite a narrow shape from Tottenham. Yet most of the success came down that right channel. Most of it was coming wide, and I mean. Andros Townsend didn't cover himself in glory, did he? And he certainly didn't cover Patrick Van Anhol for anything because he's leaving him. Uh, I think there was a point where there was one of the, I think was, was it the third goal where, um, he saw, saw, saw Townsend dashing back into frame to try and get anywhere near yeah. Aurier coming near him because he let him go. And it, it, yeah, it seemed like all of Palace's problems came from their left channel, Tottenham's right, it seemed in this game, didn't it? Yes, it did. And I think you're absolutely right to point out that that formation changed, that 4 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 I always all the twos. struggle to stop at the right number of twos. Um, it, it was really interesting to me because you're absolutely right that you have those numbers and it kind of pulls Palace more central. They, they want to stay compact. But then you're absolutely right that Serge Aurier just kept getting that ball in wide open spaces. And it wasn't just yeah. a like, oh, now he's going to make a late arriving run because like Palace are in their shape, Tottenham are kind of like committed numbers four, but now Serge Aurier comes and he hasn't been picked up. Like for the own goal, like he's just involved in the attack. It's just a good counterattack, but the fullbacks getting involved allows you to have that width while simultaneously having numbers in the middle. And those numbers are then kind of attacking the ball and causing problems and making defenders kind of run all over the place. And that's when you start to have goals and quick combination crosses that lead to goals. And uh, Song Hyung Min getting a brace, but then also uh, if we were Major League Soccer, I think he would have gotten assist credits for the other two goals because he plays the ball wide to Aurier for the own goal and he plays the ball wide to Harry Kane for the fourth goal, which he then plays back uh, for Eric Lamella. So it sort of was a comprehensive performance and then Seung Hoon Min looking basically unplayable in this one. Uh, I I would imagine it has Tottenham fans feeling slightly, slightly more confident than they were a couple weeks ago. Yeah, definitely. For Palace, like having five in the middle, that the way they were pulled to and fro shouldn't happen really, should it? No, it should not. You know what else shouldn't happen, Ryan? (laughs) What's infringement that? and that's where we have oh. another lister question um i'm gonna ask you this i did a little bit of, uh, of of digging i think i have an answer but gray hair gaming asks or says at the start of the tottenham palace match uh spurs had a player run into palace's half before the ball was kicked it wasn't like he cheated a foot he was one to two yards across he hesitated like he was expecting the referee to say something and then kept going another one to two yards before kickoff this is clearly against the laws of the game and it feels like i've seen this move more often uh on restarts uh, so why is this allowed? Is it the ref missing it or just dismissing it as not a big deal? And if correctly ruled, uh, is the restart redone and can a player earn a yellow? Do you think this kind of petty infringement is what made Grey Hair Gaming's hair turn grey? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> he did send us a screen grab and it, yeah, it's, it's very much a, sort of several feet into the opposition half. And to me, this seems like the kind of as I say, slightly petty infringement. It's like sort of foul throws are never called, right? It's the sort of thing that you'd never expect to be called. But maybe if it, I mean, it's not as if this game wouldn't have been three points to Tottenham if that didn't happen, I suppose, right. is the way you'd look at it. But I too have done some dugging into the oh. to legals of this situation, specifically law rates, the start and restart of play. If a player persistently infringes the kickoff rules, thus requiring repeated restarts, mm-hmm. which if he was caught, presumably that would happen, it is possible the referee may decide to caution that player with a yellow card. So the rules say, 
maybe he can get a yellow if the ref feels like it. You have nailed it exactly, my friend. Well done. Yeah, it's, and I think even then it would sort of take a, like, almost like Zlatan-esque, like, no, I'm not moving. I'm standing here and kickoff will just happen. Then I think that yellow happens. More often, if it doesn't seem to affect the outcome of, like, like the like the moment, if not the game, then, yeah, I think the referee is just going to let play resume. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who was telling me that, like, there have been moments, though, when, like, a player will intercept the ball having cheated a yard, and then you wonder, like, ooh, does that need to be called back? And I think it ends up being at the referee's discretion, and I think so rarely is there a moment when it actually has any impact that I don't think it's worth, like, calling it back and restarting and just slowing things down a little bit more. You know that starts the game on, like, a weird note and on a restart, I think, to sort of, like, punish the the team that's just scored for being a little bit up for it. I think that's not a thing they're really going to want to do short of, like, a player running in and intercepting it, like, straight off the kickoff. I think that would probably be frowned upon and called back for a restart. I imagine that would be, yes. But in <laughs> this one, uh, I, I wasn't too upset by this one, frankly. Nor was I, and I agree. So I think we can Good. move on away from the Premier League uh, to, shall we move to La Liga? Does that work for you? Let's go to Catalonia. All right. To the, to as you said, the up and down Barcelona. Uh, very much up this weekend. A 5-2 win for Barcelona over Valencia. Uh, that moves them. Checks notes. Uh, not quite back into the Champions League spots. They're currently fifth <laughs> just outside. Uh, one point behind uh, Athletic Club de Bilbao, who are uh, on eight points. So still very much in the Champions League spots are Barcelona. Uh, still very much in the title spots are Barcelona, given that they're, what, three points behind Sevilla. Um, but this was telling to me because it was a game where they don't have Luis Suarez, or they didn't start Luis Suarez. He comes on later, still gets a brace. Mm. They did not have Lionel Messi. Uh, instead, they started Ansu Fati, who's a 16-year-old, uh, second youngest uh, Barcelona debut ever when he debuted a couple weeks ago and here he is starting his first game at the Camp Nou gets a goal in like scores a goal gets an assist uh, in 60 minutes of play scores inside two minutes maybe three minutes right yeah. can you think of a better way to begin a Barcelona career than scoring on your debut at 16 at the Camp Nou that's probably that's probably nailed it there will be no fatty shaming on this podcast or at the uh, or at the Camp Nou <laughs> thank you very much thank you thank you thought that myself thanks a lot thank you I really, I really appreciate your dedication to the to these sorts of moments, Ryan. Thank you for that, and I really appreciate <laughs> Barcelona. Like again, from a neutral perspective, just watching Barcelona play is a like you know how good they are that they're just such a like predator in my mind that like at any given moment they could strike and score a goal, and so it just makes it that much more compelling to see them on the ball because you think of them as a team that can score at any given moment, even with no Lionel Messi on the field, and mm-hmm. have the personnel to be able to like 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 Jared Pique ends up scoring in this game. But I always kind of expect like Gerard Piquet to be involved in the attack, which is not a thing I would say of most teams' uh, center backs. So that yeah. made that one, this one particularly interesting to me. And I think also just the way they spread the field so much. I'm not breaking any new ground here with this one, but just the like the way they play that four three three in an attacking shape, where it's just like, oh yeah, that is a four three three. It's like four spread out, spread out very wide. The front three spread very wide. The midfield three in like the perfect V shape, and then you've got the overlapping runs. It's just such a nice like, yeah. This is a like textbook for how you play this system, and then they drop into the four one four one, and everybody knows exactly where to be. And I just yeah. find, I found this game. I, maybe it's because they get the five goals, maybe because it's the youngster getting his debut. But I found this game really, really fun to watch for a number of different reasons. It was fun, definitely. And I thought, um, you know, when we saw the first two goals, essentially 
they were kind of the same goal. When you mm-hmm. saw for the first goal, Vati running into the ball, he looked a lot like Messi running into the, and getting the ball on the edge of the yes, six-yard did. box, didn't he? And, um, and also, if you notice, sort of Antoine Griezmann's a few yards in front of him, he lets it go. He knows he's coming behind him. It seems like they're really on the same frequency there. Mm-hmm. That was very impressive to see as well. And then you had basically... Uh, the De Jong and, and, and Fatty switching roles, weren't they, for the for the other goal, for the second goal? Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, they're just going to do this same goal all day, aren't they? But no, they they varied it up, as you say. And Gerard Piquet getting into the box mm-hmm. in open play, which is always lovely to see as well. And Luis Suarez, as much as you can deride him, and I do like to deride him for his personality, um, he he's very exciting on the ball. And there was that fourth goal where you, you're expecting him, expecting him to play the through ball mm-hmm. for the runner. Everyone in the stadium's like, here comes the through ball for the runner. Yep, fakes and shoots, yep. love it. And you know he did a, had a nice finish on his on the fifth as well. So just all round very impressive for Barcelona this one. And to be fair, they're facing Valencia at a tricky time because let's say you're Valencia, um, you got a game at the Camp Nou, and mm-hmm. then a couple of days later you're going to go to Stratford Bridge for mm-hmm. uh, for the Champions League. What's the one? What's the one person you shouldn't probably fire a couple of days before that happens? I would say probably your manager. Probably Marcelino your manager yeah. is the one you shouldn't <laughs> fire. But then you know. Peter, Peter Lim and his whims, almost rhymes. Um, that, that's what happened. And <laughs> so we had a new, a new manager for Valencia starting this one out. And all things considered, I mean, Valencia had their chances and they had two, two, two goals as well. And uh, it, was, it was a good contest, this one. And th- this is a, a different result, obviously, t- to the Copa del Rey final from last, uh, last season, which Valencia won. But they had a different manager then. Things were different, Day Day. Things were very different. I did enjoy, uh, I'm, I may be paraphrasing this one incorrectly, so I apologize, but the gist of it was Gary Neville did an, uh, an AMA. Somebody asked him, like, what's the strangest thing you've ever been asked to sign? Obviously, meeting an autograph, and his response was a Valencia contract. So, yes, boom, boom. Uh, slightly strange in the, in the approach to management uh, are Valencia. Um, slightly strange, I felt, I guess maybe not because it's a little messy, but the, the director of this game, like, do we need the messy cam for every single thing that Barcelona do, Ryan? Like, when they score, they cut to Messi. When they don't score, they cut to Messi. When they complete a pass, they cut to Messi. Like, I understand that he's Lionel Messi. I don't know if I need to see him sort of looking on like, yes, this is what I want. Like, is, is he – he gets a level of like like almost like dictator sort of coverage of like, <laughs> yes, there's Messi in the stands nodding approvingly and, and like stroking his beard. To to be fair though, he's so he's so animated. He's so you know he's so interesting to watch. He's got so many expressions on his face. He's so infused all the time. How can you keep a camera off that guy? <laughs> he really, for as electrifying as he is on the field, he really does almost deliberately keep it pretty boring. It feels like off the field. So yeah, I think he might be the most boring man in the world. I mean, we know nothing about him, and I've got nothing to base it on. But all signs suggest he is. He's got nothing about him, right? I know he's got a, a small soccer pitch in his yard because I watched uh, his son scoring on that same pitch, and then I watched him juggling over his enormous Italian Mastiff dog. That's what I know about him. I know he has a dog, <laughs> and I know he has a child, and I know he has a soccer field at his house, and he has tattoos. That's what I've got yes. for you, Ryan. That's what I've got for you. I'd like to hope that, that he rides that dog sometimes, make him a bit more interesting because it's massive, that dog. It, it, it feels like maybe he could. He's small. <laughs> it would work. It would work out. Maybe that's why I bought it. Uh, we'll move away from Lionel Messi riding dogs Must to – uh, I kind of actually don't want to, but I feel like we should. Uh, <laughs> instead, I want to talk about uh, RB Leipzig's one-to-one draw with Bayern Munich. Uh, this one played out not like quite the way I expected it to because I did think – like. Uh, Leipzig would struggle a little bit with Bayern. I think they did at times. I think Bayern could have gone up, uh, like had a penalty shout that eventually was overruled due to VAR. Mm. Felt like maybe this was going to end up kind of running away from Leipzig, but it finishes one to one. 
and it finishes one to one in like Robert Lewandowski doing exactly what we expect Robert Lewandowski to do. And it made me feel very happy that you and I had had that conversation, I think, two weeks ago about like, is Lewandowski the person you want in that breakaway or taking that penalty for you? Like, is he the one that you know is going to finish the ball? And here we are with a great ball played in, drives at the keeper, takes a little touch to set it up, and then just calmly passes it right past the goalkeeper. It is why I appreciate so much what, what he brings to the table and why I wish uh, there were more forwards like him. Yeah, very much so. And it was wonderfully done, albeit against a slightly sleepy back line there, letting him go, letting Muller get that ball through to him. But this was this is a derby in a, in several respects. You had Timo Werner against mm-hmm. Lewandowski, obviously two two best strikers in the league at the moment. Although you know Werner not not playing centrally in this one. You also got the um, Sabitzer and Coutinho, sort of the assist providers, even though Coutinho wasn't involved either until he came on. Um, but but uh, this this one I'd like to characterise as the hated by everybody else derby. Can we call it that legitimately? I think uh, you mean. I think I would agree with that as long as you're talking about outside of Germany, because it does feel like everybody in Germany loves Bayern Munich for some reason. No, they don't. Everyone hates Bayern Munich in Germany. I Come I feel, on. I feel like when I was in Istanbul, like 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 the seven Germans I interacted with, not like all at once, but in different points, were always like, "Oh yeah, I'm a Bayern fan." I think there was like maybe a Dortmund fan thrown in there, maybe, but even then, I'm I'm not sure. So just, oh no, it's like um, it's like '90s Manchester United in England. It was like if you didn't like them, you. Thoroughly hated okay. them. It's very much that sort of vibe. They called they called the Stern the students the Star of the South, and they they nicknamed the Death Star of the South by uh, other fans because of the uh, evil way in which they hoover <laughs> up things and try and yeah. take over the galaxy. That checks out. I mean, to your point, like uh, or like when you're talking about the battle of the strikers, I think the reports last week were that Timo Werner is very likely to sign for Bayern Munich and going to yeah. do the exact same, like run down the contract, sign for them on a free sort of situation. Maybe Leipzig end up getting a little bit of money out of it. We shall see. But yes, I, I think. I think your point death star seems uh like an apt one there uh should add uh uh forsberg gets the penalty for the equalizer uh which then made me like ponder the question ryan same question we had i had for you about like is Lewandowski the player you most want like taking your penalty or like in a 1v1 with a goalkeeper that you back to finish my question for you is if you're if you're like the owner of a club and you can sign any goalkeeper in the world uh who would you go with to save a penalty or let me put it this way who do you least want to have to take a penalty against in a like a game that matters, Ryan. I mean, Manuel Neuer has to be right up there. See, that's Is what there I was anyone thinking, in the yeah. game who's got a better? I looked it up. He's he saved eighteen career penalties, and the highest ever amount by any Premier League goalkeeper was David James with thirteen. So. Yeah, he's good, at, he's good at stopping him. I think it's just because he's been so good for so long, but then also had that sort of slight downturn in form, plus the uh, like long injury. Some of that like mystique of the Neuerness, where like he's so weird, but you can't anticipate his weirdness, and that makes it head games. A little bit of that has worn off, but I think. Like because it's worn off for me, I sort of then like look past him as like oh he's a little bit past it. Whereas Manuel Neuer is still one of the best goalkeepers in the world. So yes, I think I take your point that Manuel Neuer is probably the one I don't want standing on the uh, the end line when I'm trying to take a penalty. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And uh, by the way, uh, Leipzig almost looked like they were going to take the three points, yep. didn't it? It was like Bayern were holding on for the second half, most yeah. of the second half, didn't it? And, and I think that that. I agree with you entirely, and that makes me very excited for the like rest of the season. Again, we're four games into the Bundesliga. We shouldn't draw too many conclusions, but it's Leipzig on top of the table right now. Dortmund behind them. Dortmund getting a big win uh, this weekend. 4-0 win over Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, Bayer Munich still in that conversation, and we would expect them to continue to be. Uh, and we will keep following the Bundesliga, Ryan, I'm, I'm assuming. But for now, I'd like to uh, close it out by talking uh, a little briefly about some Major League Soccer, if that works for you. 
Let's. All right. Uh, the big one, uh, I think, from this past weekend, uh, Philadelphia Union with a one-to-one draw against LAFC. Uh, uh, Union playing at home. Uh, they would not be playing at home if this were an MLS Cup final because LAFC uh, like, will likely be playing at home if they make it there. Uh, or I should say will be playing at home if they make it there, but will likely be making it there, in my opinion. Ryan, do you feel like this was a preview of the uh, upcoming MLS Cup final? Yes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> at least for 50% of the teams involved. Can I say that? Sure. So you're saying LA? Yeah. Okay. So why LA and not Philly? Oh, I think Philly just got a bit more competition in the East, haven't they? Basically. Yeah, I, I've read a couple different pieces. Uh, Matt Doyle wrote like a good breakdown of the weekend, which was kind of arguing that like Philly could handle the physicality of LA, but then also kind of brought their own like technical precision to this game that made them sort of able to deal with either type of opponent they might be facing. But yes, yeah. when it's LAFC and like Carlos Vela comes back in, gets the goal, looks like Carlos Vela, it's not the prettiest goal by any stretch of the imagination, but it felt like a good point for LA, despite the fact that I think they have not won uh, in four games, maybe it is? Uh, so, four games, yeah. Yeah, so LAFC a little bit struggling. Uh, I would not mind seeing this as an MLS Cup final because it, it, it does seem like it would be a good combination of tactics and technical play with some physicality and some trash talking and some uh, like maybe like an elbow here, like an elbow left in, a, a slightly too high tackle here or there. So <laughs> I feel like you'd get that drama even if maybe you don't normally expect Philadelphia versus LAFC to be this like big draw that it would be, I think, for the final. Yeah, for sure. And the best thing about this um, this game wasn't Vela's goal, which probably won't go in his highlight reel very high. No. Uh, slightly messy finish. But the the chip, the volleyed... Well, no, it wasn't a chip. It was a volley, wasn't it? From uh, Mark Anthony Kay that, mm. that uh, Vela attached onto. If that had gone in, that would have been a classic, wouldn't it? Yep. Yeah. And, <sighs> and those moments were like, if LAFC, to the point of like momentum that we were talking about earlier, if they're maybe in a little bit better run of form, if they kind of rediscover some of that form, you would expect that to go in, even if it's like, it would end up being an amazing goal. You still would think like, oh yeah, Vela's going to hit this and here we go. They're going to end up winning 4-0. So yeah, I think, I think I feel fairly confident uh, with my feeling that LAFC will be uh, hanging around in the playoffs, to put it lightly. I all think right. you might be right there. And I think the Supporters Shield, is they already won that now? That was the exact uh, footwork I was dancing around earlier when I wasn't entirely sure. <laughs> I definitely know that they're in the playoffs and I think I've secured home field advantage. I don't know if they've locked down the Supporters Shield yet. Uh, but we'll find that more out and we'll talk about it later on in the week because I'm going to be talking uh, a bit more uh, Major League Soccer, specifically about the uh, looming playoffs with a, a special guest. Uh, but for now, Ryan Bailey, I shouldn't tease the one guest while I still have the other with me. Uh, so, Ryan, uh, thank you very much for... Uh, talking all things from this past weekend, many games to get through, many moments to discuss. You did it all quite well. Oh, we've had quite a time, haven't we? Thanks for having me again, Tate. <laughs> we've had quite the time. We have indeed. Uh, Ryan, uh, what what have you got uh, in line this week? Are you are you doing soccer things or are you doing just tennis things? I do soccer things and tennis things and Ryan things all week long, baby. <laughs> there That's we are. Time. All right. Well, I, I look forward to speaking with you again next week where we'll draw hard and firm conclusions about every team because now it's late September and now we can do that. Crunch time. All right, Ryan. Well, thank you uh, very much once again. My pleasure.